Hello, everybody. Welcome to Drive Into the Basket. I am Mike, and I'm actually recording this in post-production, so to speak. For those of you who are either listening to the episode this morning, uh, this is the day it was released, and had it cut off in the middle of the episode, or for those of you who have already listened to it and are seeing it show up again in your podcast feed, I found out this morning, a few hours after posting the episode, uh, that I have released it with a pretty significant audio error. This is just something that happened during editing. There was a collection of sort of protracted silences that were interspersed throughout the episode. So, of course, wanted to take it down right away, fix it, and then get it re-uploaded. So, apologies for the mess up. Definitely going to take steps to make sure that doesn't happen again in the future. We really value all of you, and we want to give you the best possible listening experience we can. So, with that, let's get to the episode. Hello, everybody. You are listening to Driving to the Baskets, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I am Mike. I am here with Tommy and Dante and our special guest for this episode, Wes, otherwise known as Six Man on YouTube. Wes, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Looking Absolutely, good, man. Yeah, yeah, we've been looking forward to it also. Uh, so uh, we're just going to get the ad out of the way right here. So just a quick word from our sponsors at DraftKings. You've heard us talk about DraftKings, the leader in daily fantasy sports, and now a payday can come every day by entering their contests with huge cash prizes up for grabs. Making a lineup on DraftKings adds excitement to every night, and it's extremely simple to do. Just draft your lineup, feel the sweat, and make every moment mean more with a DraftKings lineup on the line. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to users all across sports. DraftKings is the leader in daily fantasy sports, so there's absolutely no better place to get in on all of the action. Now that you know how to play, download the DraftKings app now and sign up using code TBPN. New users will get a free entry with their first deposit. That's code TBPN to get a free entry with your first deposit, only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. All right, so Wes, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? Um, well, just start from the, the basics, 20, I guess that's, that's about as basic as it gets Australian, as you would probably notice by the accents, Australian Pistons fan in terms of how I became a Pistons fan, which a lot of people have asked me from making Pistons content. I wish there was a better story, but basically just have family in Michigan. A couple of people live there. Dad spent a few years there growing up when he was a kid. Granddad was there as well as you'd imagined. And that's kind of the extent of it, really. Not that I fell in love with Stanley Johnson or something, and that just blossomed my love for it. It was more so just about a family thing. I'm surprised you didn't fall in love with Stanley Johnson. That's... Well, yeah. Yeah, I tried my best to. (laughs) That did happen as well. so many years to convince myself that he was a good player. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it was honestly, for my family, it was just all about the moments that we saw Henry Ellenson's number you know, <laughs> get on draft night. We were like, this this is the team we have to support. Yeah. yeah. That was what yeah. got me over the edge. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, those guys. yeah absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, why don't you tell us about the, the YouTube channel you're on? Yeah, basically just NBA-type content. Try to switch it up a little bit, but Pistons, good theme. Obviously, I haven't been talking about them as much but during the regular season. Any excuse, if they beat like a good team, we'll, we'll make note of it. Um, Seiko Dumboya, Killian Hayes, all of those things try to um, push the narrative a little bit that those guys aren't busts in the first seven games. Those are kind of things that I like to talk about. Yeah, some stuff like that. All right, fair enough. Uh, yeah, who's your uh, who's your excuse me your favorite player currently on the roster? Would you say it's actually a good question? I've thought about that a few times, but. There's not one that like immediately jumps out to me. Not that I d- dislike anyone, but at the same time, in terms of just favorite player, fan of Killian, liked what he did in terms of his playmaking. And I think he does have a path to being a good player defensively shooting. Um, I guess Isaiah Stewart's a good answer as well. One of the rookies, I'd say. Probably just just combine them all, I guess. <laughs> right, fair enough. Oh, just... Uh... Just, I'm not sure if I uh, if I made this quite clear. So his uh, his channel is called Six Man, uh, the number Six Man, uh, on YouTube. For those of you who are interested in some good NBA content, yeah. So obviously we're coming up on the draft here. How do you feel about where the Pistons are in general? I mean, even uh, just 
even irrespective of uh, the fact we got number one overall pick coming up. I know you've you've been making content for a while and probably it wasn't too pleasant necessarily to be doing so <laughs> yeah. about the about the Pistons there for a few years. Yeah. Um in terms of the Pistons, I actually I do love the position we're in, obviously with the number one pick, that's huge. I think Cade spoiler alert, yeah, I'd take Cade. I think Cade just fits what we're doing right now in terms of Sadiq Bay, Jeremy Grant, the outline of those three and D guys. Troy Weaver, got a lot of faith in him as opposed to what we had before. Dwayne Casey, I don't know if he's the greatest coach, but I also don't think he's a terrible coach, which is decent for now. So I like what we're doing. I'm not saying we're going to be the next dynasty, but it's potential. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Uh, All right, I guess at this point, uh, let's let's transition to a bit of draft stuff. The draft will or is coming up very quickly by the time we we post this episode. We usually post on Tuesdays. It'll be about 48 hours away. So, yeah, I know, Wes, you uh, are a fan of Cade. How was it for you when... You know, why did you were you watching the draft lottery when it happened? I was. It was okay. I think about eleven AM over here. So decent decent time to watch it. And I mean, happy. <laughs> it was wasn't crying or anything, nothing crazy, but it was it was more shock because I was not expecting it. I mm-hmm. guess pessimism from being a Pistons fan, but yeah, I did not anticipate getting the number one overall pick. I was just like, once those envelopes top four, I'm like, just get it over and done with, give us the fourth pick. And then it continued on. I'm like, this doesn't seem real, but it happened. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, we can uh, move on talking about more. Uh, yeah, I guess just, just more dedicated draft stuff. I know uh, all of us are, are happy to see the draft finally be here. You know, who know that that having the number on a pick would be such a burden. <laughs> it's, it's just it's so hard of course just terribly terribly difficult being the team that has to pick first overall in, in an incredibly strong draft it's tough heavy's the head that wears the crown right yeah absolutely 100 percent. so yeah i know all of us probably are pretty tuned into the press conference that was had yesterday i think uh, evan mobley and i don't know Jalen green spoke uh Jalen green did, of course. Is, i think monday monday gotcha yeah, so Cade spoke. Uh, he had a lot of good things to say about Detroit. Now, what do you guys think about what, what were you guys' impression of that? It's just nice to see someone embrace the city, right? Because um, I think we we touched on this on a prior episode. It's like being excited to come to Detroit is not the be-all, end-all. I mean, Stanley Johnson was excited. Henry Ellenson was excited. Probably Michael Benajay was excited as well. Doesn't mean that they're going to make an impact. But at the same time, someone of Cade's status and caliber – it's nice to see not only him, but his family, you know, his uh, his brother's gotten kind of Pistons Twitter and, and Pistons Reddit famous for for answering all these DMs. And he's been very candid and forthright uh, with fans showing him love and his cousin, uh, who happens to be his trainer as well. Um, he showed up to the Tigers game with Cade and obviously there was that big uh, chant at Comerica Park. So it's nice to see the love kind of coming from them and then they're receiving love back. And it's just a, it's a really nice cycle. I, I've, I've been having a lot of fun watching it. Yeah, definitely. There was a quote that uh, somebody asked him about that. Somebody asked Kate about that. James Edwards tweeted this out, Cunningham on the Comerica Park cheering. They showed a lot of love. That type of stuff means a lot. And I remember dreaming about being a top guy. That stuff still gives me chills. I'm appreciative of it. So it's definitely very excited to see that type of love for a player, especially before they were drafted. I don't know if we remember anything like that happening before, but it's nice that the city's not you know, kind of apathetic to this. Like they're embracing him. They're cheering for him at Comerica Park. And uh, it's nice that we absolutely routed their team when he got to visit. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. Like, you know, when there's nothing that excites a team more, uh, excuse me, fans of a team more than consistently picking in the low lottery. I mean, that's just oh, the mid to low lottery. You know, it's, it's just great. Oh, yeah. when you go on every summer, it's saying, absolutely, this is awesome. We're going to have a mediocre pick in the lottery. <laughs> And, uh, you know, we just got done with another unsuccessful season. Like, let's do this. And, uh, <laughs> and it's like, you go to Comerica park and you hear all these fans shining, you're like number eight pick number eight yeah. pick. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think he was quite enough to get people excited. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. No, it, I, 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 I completely agree with you guys. It is nice. And honestly, and this is a thing we've also talked about before, but really it, it, it kind of becomes even more apparent when you've got the fan base so riled up is that 
look, Stafford traded Miggy getting a little bit older and the Red Wings obviously are in the middle of a rebuild right now. It's um, very likely that Cade's not just the face of the Pistons. He's the face of Detroit sports. And given that, you know, it's a lot of pressure to heap on a 19 year old, but every single interview that I've seen, every single piece of, you know, media content that's come out regarding Cade, you know, pre and post lottery, he seemed nothing but he seems to have nothing but the utmost level of maturity, right? I, I feel pretty confident that he can be that guy to shoulder that enormous burden, and I'm I'm just extremely excited for it. Yeah, it's just the composure yeah. that's impressive, isn't it? Because he just seems like someone that's ready to be a leader. Like, he's already been a leader at college. He's already shown off those tendencies. And I think that's the kind of guy we've got because we've got so many guys that hard workers, that's the kind of mold I know Troy Weaver was looking for, like with the Sadiq Bays, the Isaiah Stewarts, even Killian Hayes to a degree, Saban Lee, those guys. But we need someone who can just come in there and be a leader, take over in clutch time. We really struggled down the stretch of games, which ended up getting us Cade. So we're not, not going to complain, but that's the kind of guy we need. So Cade shows all of those things on and off the court, which I think is huge. For sure. And Jaleel Okafor can't do it on his own. You know? <laughs> <laughs> He's got enough so far. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Some help. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah, I and mean, we've we've said it before. I, I know I've said it before. Definitely, that it's it's very nice to have a guy who can conceivably do a great job leading your offense, uh, but also be that leader, like an actual leader. Like if you look at the typical guys around the league who are these star creators, like LeBron, of course, is a team leader. You know, there's no doubt about that. But James Harden. Uh, you know, he's, he might know the way to every strip club in every NBA city, but he's not, uh, he's, he's probably not the most inspiring guy, who's, you know, trying to really get his teammates behind, uh, behind the game plan and get them motivated and, and just be a leader in the locker room. Uh, Luca, who knows, but I don't think that's, that's him either. And I'm not, I'm not saying Kate's going to come in and hopefully he's, he's a guy like, uh, you know, like Luca or whoever else, uh, or not whoever else I know people have really looked at Luca and said, well, they've got some similarities. Who knows? I, I'm not setting my expectations that high, but. Yeah, if you look at like the the Red Wings, their last four championship teams, for the most part, well, really, the, the on on every one of those teams, I mean, at least two out of the top three players, uh, two of the top three best players. I'm, I'm thinking Fedorov wasn't really a leader, but like Lidstrom was the best player. Lidstrom, Dotsuk, and Zetterberg are the best players on your last. Red Wings team, and those were all leaders, you know, really, Wittstrom in particular, Wittstrom and Zetterberg. Like, Eisenman was the best player on the team for a long time. He was absolutely just an, an excellent leader uh, in, in the locker room, and this is a very good thing to have. And, of course, Troy Weaver has done his best even in one year, you know, even one year into the rebuild to stock the team with guys like that. So, yeah, well, it's a reason why teams yeah. are still interested in trading for Kyle Lowry, even though he's, what, 36 now, <laughs> six-foot guard, You've got Chris yeah. Paul, kind of a cliche thing now, but he did make a huge impact on the Suns through leadership and obviously on the court playmaking. But yeah, every team needs that guy that can take over down the stretch. Just communication is huge. Draymond Green, the Warriors were like a top tier defense without having any other notable great defenders. Like Wiggins is decent, but you see the impact these kind of guys have, whether it's communication, on the court play style, just all of those things. And I think Cade's got a number of those things, which is promising. Sure he does. I, I absolutely agree with you. And and people don't quite realize probably the impact that good leadership has until there's been a dearth of it, right? And so we've been watching uh, the Andre Drummond, Reggie Jackson Pistons for a lot longer than any of us <laughs> wanted to watch that for. And that that's that's particularly poor leadership, right? And and this this sort of um, I don't know if I'd go so far as to call it toxicity, but it's definitely not the optimal environment, right? Not for young players. You know, we saw Luke Kennard just was not confident at all. And that's not something uh, to the extent of which that's his fault and less a product of his environment. I couldn't tell you because I'm not a sports psychologist, but it's pretty clear that young players weren't making great strides under that team and, and, and the team wasn't succeeding as a whole. And so it's so nice to have somebody come in or presumably come in who, like Mike said, not only is the best player, but is the best leader. And those things sort of mesh together well, and we're going to have to see what happens. But I'm a lot more optimistic about the future than I was about <laughs> these these recent years here. It hasn't oh, been yeah. too fun. Yeah, you had, you had Blake Griffin who did it, you know, to certainly to his credit to the best by all accounts he could in the locker room. For sure. And, and as a leader in general, but... Yeah, prior to that, I mean, yeah, of course, the Stan Van Gundy era Pistons had all sorts of problems. I mean, this is what happens when you build a team 
around Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond. Yeah. And Jackson, to his credit, uh, you know, for his last three seasons with the team, you know, really developed into a model teammate, but you know, he was never a leader, obviously Drummond. Um, yeah. Hopefully will be leading himself over to China or something. So I don't have to watch him in the NBA anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, those are the, any listeners to the podcast, you know, I'd strongly dislike Drummond, not only, not only because he was not really did not, pan out for the Pistons, but whatever. The reason I dislike him is because of his attitude, his mental outlook. Yeah, well, but, I can't yeah. say I disagree with that on Drummond's. Yeah, I've <laughs> talked about it before, but he's just... I mean, the numbers are one thing, but you see the impact. I mean, we finally got to see it for the Lakers. Everyone was hyping him up as though he'd make a huge impact and then, well, played, what, 15 minutes behind a 35-year-old Marcus Ol, who's, what, yeah. 300 pounds. Like, <laughs> <laughs> come on now. <laughs> No, yeah. just those flaws are really magnified when you get on the on the national stage, right? And so people just kind of saw the box score and they were like, okay, look what he's contributing. But it's like we've said so many times before, your contributions on the stat sheet might not necessarily be indicative of your contributions to actually winning basketball games. And with Drummond, that was like insanely apparent. And <laughs> now everybody saw, right? So I wonder if the Shanghai Sharks are paying attention. Um We'll, we'll see. We'll find out. Yeah. Well, they have, uh, what's his name? Like, uh, I don't know. This is like a, this is a 2K joke, like the Flying Tiger or something like that. What's his, uh, I don't know. I don't oh, know that knows. was, you're Long going back to like, yeah. No, no, no. The, uh, there was, this is really random, but I know when, and, and I, I haven't played 2K for a while, but there was this guy who kind of became a meme. He was the Flying in, Tiger. No, I, I don't know what his name was, what his name was, but the yeah, he, Dragon or something like that. Yeah, I know what you're talking yeah, about. He was this guy in career mode who was like this incredible player you had to face off against. I, yeah. I don't know if it was in the CBA or what, but uh, in any event, he's not actually real. So it's kind of a moot point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that said, yeah, so I, yeah, it's, we've talked about how nice it's been to see the culture overhaul and certainly, yeah, certainly that's been very striking and you know, you give some credit to Dwayne Casey, of course, but you got to have the right personnel. You just got to have the right personnel. Uh, you put Dwayne Casey in charge of, you put any coach in charge of certain players and it's just not going to happen for you. Well, I mean, we saw it with what, Thon Maker, Zaza Pachulia, Glenn Robinson the third. That was rough. That was Well, these names are scaring me. Dude, man, yeah, Thon was a hard worker. Yeah. Thon was <laughs> Thon a hard worker. You give that to him, he just wasn't good at anything. Actually, down the road for me, I've, he was spotted a few times, the local gym. PCYC. Wow. Yeah. So there you go. So I can't say too many bad things about him, but yeah. You might <laughs> you show think? up in your room if you start doing yeah. that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. We'd be happy to have Thon on the show. I mean, we've, we've said some uncomplimentary things about him, but what I will say about the guy is he's a super hard worker and yeah. by all accounts, he's a great teammate. Yeah. See what uh, I mean, also, yeah. somebody said he sweats, his sweat is green. Somebody who was like, uh, yeah, was like a ball boy in the NBA who, who talked about a bunch of stuff. I think he was actually worked in the palace or an LCA because he had all sorts of nice things to say about Reggie Jackson. Uh, but yeah, he said that Don sweat was greenish in color, uh, which I don't know. Glad it's, I know that. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I, I kind mean, of tribute is, to that. I, that's not yeah. really an Australian thing from knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Whether it's true or not, I don't think it really matters, but <laughs> apparently <laughs> whatever the case. Uh, so uh, yeah, do you think Thon has a future in the, in the NBL? NBL, I mean, sure, why not? <laughs> I yeah. think that's probably the next spot for him, I'd imagine, unfortunately. but It could you know. be. Probably get paid more in China. That is that is true as well. Yeah. And yeah, we'd be actually, when we were talking about Emin Mobley, I don't know if we made reference to this. For some guys, it's just really hard to put on muscle. I don't doubt that Thon worked hard and ate like a, a zillion calories a day. But, you know, just genetically speaking, some people are not predisposed toward putting on that kind of mass. So I know we talked about with that with Mobley, like, oh, this guy's probably going to have to put on like 20, 30 pounds, of, uh, you know, 20 to 30, 40 pounds of muscle and not muscle of weight here. And it might not be easy for him. Uh, but uh, yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to the actual draft coming up. That's on on the Thursday, the 29th at 8 Eastern. Of course, the Pistons will be called first. I'm sure we're all tired of hearing trade rumors. Yeah, I have a question for you guys. Uh, so I think everybody is kind of expecting the Pistons to make a trade up into the late first. And whether or not that happens, I think we've kind of talked about it's not a guarantee here. Do you guys think Troy would make some aggressive trade, like something that way out of left field, and try to trade back into like the teens? And this isn't me going off on book night, but some of the guys that they were interviewing uh, were just, they were not 
top four or five guys, but they were also just presumed to be like all over the place. Like Keon Johnson was a guy that the Pistons interviewed and I get that they're being thorough, but I don't know. Still, that was surprising to me to see because obviously they've been, it seems like they've been a lot more secretive this year about everything going on, whether it's the Isaiah Stewart injury or uh, who the, who they're talking to or who they're interviewing. I know James Edwards was talking about how they're not getting like these email updates that they ordinarily would new regime, uh, new tendencies, I guess, but do you guys foresee anything like that? Do you think they would make a big move on draft night? I don't see how they have the assets to do so unless you're trading. Like Killian would probably be would probably have been a, a pick in, in the mid-teens, maybe a little outside the lottery in this year's draft with how strong it is. And he remains an upside pick because he didn't really prove or disprove anything last year besides the fact that he needs a lot of work. So I don't think he's really going to get you far. I don't think I think Sadiq Bay and Isaiah Stewart are firmly off the table, and Seku is, remains a project. Also, he was a guy who came in and really wasn't. It was just by pure happenstance that he ended up in the NBA these past two years. I think he wasn't at all expected to be there. He was expected to be kind of like a, a, a two years down the line, super raw, given time to develop player. So I don't think he has much value either. And Houston, for the moment, effect until it conveys, basically owns the Pistons' first-round pick for trade purposes until like 2027, so you can't trade that at the moment. So what do you offer? Those three second-round picks uh, are not going to get you deep into the first round. I'm not convinced that they'll get the Pistons into the first round at all, rather than just higher in the second round if there's somebody they really like. So, yeah, who, Tommy, would you say they could actually trade to get into the teens? I could see them trading Sadiq. I wouldn't like it, but I do think that out of the current projected starting five, he's probably got the lowest ceiling. And even though he has probably the most projectable skill set in terms of being useful, I could see that happening. Uh, I'm not predicting that. I just feel like last year, Troy made a couple of really big moves, and obviously he doesn't have the flexibility that he had in that offseason or in that that cycle. But if there was going to be a guy that was going to get moved – for like a big trade, I could see it being Sadiq. Uh, I love Sadiq Bay. Obviously, I just I, that's what I feel like could happen. Yeah, I'm sure Dante doesn't like me trading away his All Star. I don't. I don't. <laughs> I felt like this, like just deep dread, just bubbling up in my chest at the thought of trading Sadiq. And my my issue with it is not that I think any player on the roster is untouchable. You know, Troy has uh, made it pretty clear that everybody has a price. And good executives, you know, are going to operate under the assumption that if we get some kind of godfather offer, we'll trade everybody. But my issue with trading Sadiq is that, okay, you picked him. He surprised everyone with how good he was. You know, people figured he'd be NBA ready, but he was he, he was excellent. You know, he was an all-rookie first-team player. Um, a great complementary piece at the bare minimum, no doubt, moving forward. And then, okay, you trade him trade him for what so you can drop someone who's you hope to be as good as him like it it just doesn't make too too much sense to me unless it's for a pre-existing star and even then is Sadiq really someone who moves the needle so not only would I not want to see that happen I kind of have trouble working out the logistics of why that might happen and then the motif behind it yeah I tend to agree with Dante just for the fact that when you think about it, Cade, as of right now, is the future of the Pistons, clearly. And when you think about what he needs, he needs guys that can shoot. He needs the guys in that mold of Sadiq Bay. You might not need someone alongside Cade, hopefully, if all things go to plan, if he can be that primary creator. You might not need someone who puts the ball on the floor a ton, but if you can move to the right spots, spot up and shoot 40%, which is what Sadiq was doing in just year one, just about, and just improve his game defensively. Obviously, he was decent as well. Sadiq, yeah, he might not have that all-star potential, but purely off what Cade needs and what we're hoping Cade is, he seems like a perfect fit already. Perfect fit might be a little bit hyperbole, but you get the point. Yeah, I don't think he's moving either. I mean, at this point, it's like I'm not, I'm I'm, I'm always on on record as, you know, you say, of course, talent's going to trump culture to, to a degree, provided your culture isn't terrible. Uh, and I'm not as high, I'm not as big on, or as optimistic on base ceiling as I know Dante, uh, as I know you are. and But I, I don't see him moving unless it's for somebody really good because you know, he's a player you know is going to come in and contribute. Even like, I assume he'll get better than he was this season, but just as kind of an, as an all-around player. Like you'd be taking a significant risk trading him away for somebody in the teens where unless you think like super high of that guy's upside. 
because if you, I mean, if you were to give people a crystal ball in this draft and, you know, say, okay, we're going to, you know, time travel and have Sadiq be born a year later and he's going to be in this draft and this is exactly what he's going to look like in his rookie year. Uh, I, I believe he'd, you know, I, I'd, I'd say he might be like the ninth or 10th pith, pick in this draft. So I, uh, you know, I don't think he's worthwhile to move into the teens. If you're moving much higher than great, but just given how murky the, the outlook becomes after like pick six or seven, maybe. Yeah. I, I just, I don't, I don't know if I'd make that trade if it, for anybody, but like the, basically the slam dunks. Yeah. This is obviously, this is just off the top of my head, but I don't know. Troy is definitely not the sort of guy who's afraid to, to go after a guy that he wants. And I don't think that he's, tra- obviously he's not trading Sadiq just to trade Sadiq. This is like, all right, we really, really like one of these guys like in the Keon Johnson range. I don't think that you make that trade, but obviously like, if they really believed in a guy like Keon is just the example. This guy is obviously he broke the record for uh, Max Burt in the combine, forty-eight inches. Uh, if they think that they can get a guy like him, that kind of upside, that hyper-athletic, you know, guard wing, who the shot isn't there yet. Like he's basically another Hamadou Diallo. If you want to put a player comp on him, if you guys, if he's like really high on someone like that, and he thinks Sadiq Bay can get him, like would you make that trade? Like Wes, you made a great point. Yes, if you're trying to maximize Kate, obviously you need the floor spacing around him. But like we said, Sadiq doesn't have the highest ceiling. I'm not suggesting that we trade Sadiq. Let me make that clear. I love the guy. But I could see something like this happening in, in this draft just because it is Troy Weaver, and he definitely went all out last year in the draft. Yeah, I do agree. If you just look at what Troy's MO is in just one year, I mean, he, he doesn't mind taking a risk. He already got rid of Canard, pretty much overhauled the whole roster. There's quotes of him saying, like, there's no point in him just sitting around. He's not afraid to take the trade. So, in essence, that kind of trade would not surprise me. Probably not Sadiq this year, I wouldn't think, just because, as I said, Cade, if you're trying to maximize Cade in year one and build him up, Sadiq just seems like almost the perfect option, as opposed to pretty much anyone you could get in the draft, unless you're just unreasonably high on someone, like, as you said, a Keon Johnson or someone of that mold. Yeah, I just, I just don't see it. I don't see uh, Tim trading Bay. I don't see him trading Stewart. And really, there's nothing else that's going to get you to move up in this draft. Like, we can talk about, like, expect, well, not just, uh, I think there are certain things that should be not expected from this draft. Like, <laughs> for example, the, like, and I think that that's along the lines of what you're talking about right now. The Pistons are currently, in terms of assets, which they can, or are likely at all to trade, uh, versus you know just overall assets they're pretty asset poor at the moment can't trade a future first you shouldn't anyway if you're the pistons uh but if you look at the prospects you got yeah stewart i think is not going anywhere at the moment at bay i don't think is going anywhere killian like maybe but i don't think he has he's kind of on the other side it's not not going anywhere but he doesn't have much value saku doesn't have much value uh, Josh Jackson and Mason Plumley are not going to move you up in the draft. I pretty feel pretty strongly about that. So what did the Pistons really have to offer? Unless you're trading Jeremy Grant, which I think is very unlikely. Yeah, I agree. That's unlikely. I just think that if you're really trying to like project out what these guys can be, I think we do need more talent on the roster and the best place to get it is the draft. In my well, opinion. obviously you need more talent. I mean, that yeah. goes without saying, but you got to, yeah. you got to, you got to give up value to get value And the Pistons. Yeah. All they can trade right now is roster players. Yeah, I agree. I don't think they're going to trade Stewart. I think he's just too important to the team culture. But three and D guys, I feel like you can get them at reasonable prices. Uh, uh, a question I, I had for you guys, if you want to finish off like a thought on on Sadiq Bay, but I do have another one for you, another name, uh, whether you trade him or not. But go ahead, Dante. I just one thing more on the Sadiq. Also, um, they did trade up in the first place to get him. Did they not? They traded into the first round with Canard. Yeah, they traded four second rounders and. Uh, and Kennard, yeah. So that's kind of all I wanted to add, just in terms of Troy obviously seemed to, he seemed to be his guy. So it'd kind of be funny to go against that after one year of him performing well, up to expectations. That's a good that's a good point. And that's something that, Wes, if you didn't say it, I was going to bring it up as well. I agree with you, Tommy, that Troy's MO, obviously, is to target, um, aggressively target players that he values or players that he perceives to be Uh, good fits for the team but then the reverse of that or the flip of that is that the players who are already on the team now given the fact that he gutted the roster completely and rebuilt it up essentially in his own image he wanted all of these players you know he made 
uh, some some pretty significant maneuvers to get Bay to get Stewart. And so you got to wonder, okay, does he just now then fall in love with someone else and Bay and Stewart become expendable? Or it, could it be that he views these players as foundational pieces that he wants to you know, have as the core of his team. So that's probably one of the reasons that I find it extremely unlikely, um, not only uh, for him to trade them in general, but especially not after a year, you know, later, if that makes sense. I think that they've certainly built some value just on the back of the rookie performances. And I think that if something really good were to come up, like if somebody were to say, and this is completely outside the realm of possibility, but it's like, oh yeah, sure, you know, for Sadiq Bay and you know Killian Hayes will trade you like the fifth pick in this draft. It's like, okay, well, yeah, sure, you know, thank you guys for your service, and and good luck on your new team. <laughs> in which case, that would be the magic, presumably. And it's like, uh, well, I'm sorry to be sending you to Orlando, but uh, you know, this really is the hardest part of the job, and blah blah blah, and and good luck to you. But I just don't think that there's any realistically attainable asset in this draft that would be worthwhile because like you see after like after seven at the latest, once you've gone through, of course, Cade Green, Mobley, Suggs, Barnes, uh, Kuminga, and I think Book Knight's almost, you know, he's, he's, he's going to be very high up there too. And I know a lot of people are very high on him and, and he has excellent potential if he can just get that three point shot down after that. I mean, is there anybody who's definitely worthwhile uh, to be making a big splash for. And I don't think Sadiq's going to get you into the, uh, well, is necessarily likely to get you like in the number seven or eight even. But is that worthwhile for, for a guy who's not a known quantity versus somebody whom, whom you feel pretty confident about going forward is going to contribute at a good level, if not a high one? Well, even at five, was what you proposed Killian and Sadiq for the fifth pick? Is that the hypothetical you'd used? Oh, well, that's completely, I wouldn't call it a hypothetical because it's absolutely unrealistic that anybody oh, would trade I, number five, I think, for that for that package. I, I, wouldn't, seven. I wouldn't do it. Uh, maybe, this maybe this is yeah. a hot take. Maybe this is a hot take. No, the Warriors, the Warriors yeah. aren't moving number seven for it. Like, Bay is good, but they're not, uh, you know, he's a good player, but I don't think they're moving number seven for some, you know, for a package that does not mean immediate help on a significant level. Like maybe Jeremy, maybe we're talking Jeremy Grant, Sadiq Bay, and Killian Hayes. I don't think I, I couldn't see the Warriors having any interest in that package for number seven. Fair enough. I don't know. I I kind of disagree. I, I I wouldn't do that trade. I don't know if that's like crazy. I, I wouldn't trade Bay and Killian for number five, um, because then you're looking at what like Keon Johnson or Jonathan Kuminga or something like that. I'm not saying it's Book Knight, a guy that we know the Pistons really liked. It's oh, Book Knight. Yeah. It's Book Knight or it's Scotty Barnes, one of the two. I, yeah, I wouldn't. Or, or if yeah, or maybe you know if you're trading Killian and Jalen Suggs is still available there, you take Jalen Suggs. The the point where I would start to consider you know doing but those it's not going to happen with these young foundational pieces is the top four that that's when I would do it. I, I wouldn't make that trade for number five, not for book night, not for Kaminga, not for whatever. I think you guys may be underselling Sadiq's value a little bit. And let's not forget too, Cade has repeatedly said, well, not Cade, but you know, his brother in these leaked DMS here saying that he's very excited to play with Sadiq and the two of them are friends. And I'd sort of like to see that progress and play out. I, I think Sadiq is going to play a big role in the restoration of the Pistons. And, and, and I think that, the idea that he's reached the ceiling and this is what he is, is um, built on some preconceived notions that he came in as an NBA ready prospect and therefore he can't improve. And you guys know that that's something that I completely disagree with. I think that it, Sadiq can be even better than he has been and therefore increase his value further. So, yeah. All right. Well then let's move on to the one guy that Weaver has kept around to this point. Sekou Dumboya, a guy who a lot of people want to move on from after two years what do you think? Like, let's say, I don't know what his value would be. I'm not going to try to put a value on him, but are you looking to move on from Seiko? The way I see it with Seiko is just, I don't see any point in getting rid of him unless there's just some team that has some unreasonable love for Seiko that wants to trade, what, a late first round pick, which obviously wouldn't happen. He did show some signs towards the end of the season as well. It's not like it was a completely lost season. Like he started to show some signs in transition. There was one transition block where I think he chased someone down from the three-point line in our three-point line to the other side of the floor against the Blazers, I believe. So he did show some signs. I don't know how good he's going to be, but at the same time, you're trading him at the lowest possible value. I don't know if there's any suitors. It just doesn't seem to make a ton of sense to me to trade him. I agree. I think it's worth reiterating that on draft night, it was made very clear in 2019 on draft night, it was made very clear this was an upside pick. 
that second Mboya is not a player you're drafting for right now. He's a player you are drafting for down the line. And he was like the an extreme upside pick. Like this is a guy who only began playing basketball on any sort of really organized level, I believe, at age 13. He didn't come in ready for the NBA. And he just didn't. And that was fine. And he was a player who was selected for the future. So he ended up in the rotation in his rookie season because Blake Griffin got injured. I think, if I remember correctly, Markeith Morris had an injury as well. And that's both of your power forwards. So Seiko ended up in the lineup. He stayed there because the Pistons pivoted to a rebuild. And then last year, there was no G League. Guy would have been in the G League. So, and, and it's entirely possible he will be in the G League. But when, you know, especially when you're like those two points you brought up, but, you know, first, Wes, yeah, that he's at, he's at the lowest, he's at his lowest ebb, like right now in terms of value. Like that's, that's the worst time to trade him. I mean, if you're talking about what you can get out of him balanced against his potential upside. But also, your team with the Pistons are at a point at which they are in, in patience and develop mode. Like this is the, the perfect upside prospect. You give this guy time and you see how, we, how it works out. Because I think he still does have potential. He's still a pretty darned athletic guy uh, with, with a with a good uh, you know he's long a six eleven wingspan uh, and I I think his weakest point will always be playmaking because I think he's just not good at, at passing for others. But if uh, they're making plays for others or just making reads off the drive, but if this is a guy who's just shooting threes, cutting to the basket, and he's a very good off ball mover and playing decent defense, you know, great. That's fantastic. I'll take it. And I think the fact that he was selected as an upside pick may have kind of given the misconception that it's like, well, it's star or bust for this guy. And that's not true. If you pick this guy and you're a team that's looking to the future, like maybe you expect more out of him if you're the Pistons who are still trying to compete, which was the case in 2019 after, you know, after Blake Griffin's all NBA season, you know, for better or worse. But ultimately at number 15, if you get a guy who's coming in and giving you like 16, 18 minutes a night at a good level, that's an excellent, you know, that's a good value. You've done well. So I don't think he needs to be this like really good player in order to, in order to justify keeping him. Yeah. You touched on it briefly, but just to go back to the G league thing, um, I remember looking at the stats now, I'm not comparing the two players because I'm not saying they're actually alike, but I do remember looking at the stats. Remember Seiko in his first year in the G league was effectively like the draft prospect age because he's December really young in terms of his draft class. His numbers were very, very similar to Jalen Green in his first year in the G League. Again, not comparing the players, but Seiko was putting up some impressive numbers in the G League. I think just for him in terms of obviously you're saying he's new to basketball, trying to find his way when you're trying to work off the ball and just trying to get a couple of shots here and there, not really getting a chance to drive to the rim attack. Like you see him freed up in the G League and you can see that potential. It's just trying to slowly integrate his way into the main team without obviously handling the ball to the degree he would like. So there is potential there. It's just we haven't been able to see it as much in the first team this year in particular. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I brought that one up because I've seen a few different publications kind of talk about Seku being one of the likely guys to be moved. And I think part of that is just that he's not a guy that Weaver brought in. He was just a carryover from the previous regime. And the other part is that, yeah, I agree with you, Wes. I think that the the fact that we have a G League team that we can use this year, and even more than that, it's going to be right. It's going to be downtown. There's going to, it's a ten minute drive as opposed to like a two hour, three hour drive uh, to switch this guy back and forth between rosters. I think that's going to be huge for development. And it's really encouraging, and and he's still younger than some of the guys coming into this incoming incoming draft class. So I don't know. I was just curious to hear your guys' thoughts on that. I figured we'd all mostly agree, but still. I was just curious to see if you guys would uh, would like to move on from Seku, just completely revamp the roster. I think the notion, I don't think that there's anything that could really make it worthwhile unless, as you've said, like some team is just very surprisingly big on him. But even then, it's like you trade for a late first round pick. I mean, I know we're, you know, not all drafters are created equal. I mean, some guys are better in the draft than others, but your shot at getting a good rotation player late in the first round even is not good. So, you know, do you measure that against you know, the possibility of getting somebody who who could be, you know, who get, could give you a significantly better shot at a rotation player, even if he never ends up being a high-level player. And I don't think Seku will be a high-level player. But like I said, you can shoot threes, move well off the ball, cut to the basket, grab alley-oops, whatever, and play defense on the other end, and you're automatically a valuable player in the NBA. It is unfortunate. Just one more thing on Seku. Because um, you look at guys couple of guys that I watched a bit in the G League, Jordan Poole, Kevin Porter Jr., 
went into the G League, got their confidence up. Different players, of course, and probably just were at a higher level. But in terms of Jordan Poole, he looked rough in his first year in Golden State. Went to the G League, got his confidence up, showed some playmaking, some ball handling, comes back to Golden State, and all of a sudden looks like one of the best second-year players in the league. Kevin Porter Jr. as well. He showed more talent and more ready-made kind of more of a ready-made prospect in Cleveland in the first year. But even coming through the G League, just working on his craft, showing off that playmaking. It's a shame we didn't get to see Sekou do that because obviously that's a missed opportunity when you look around the league and see the kind of guys that went there, even in their second years, and really improved from it. Yeah, it's yeah. I, I think it really the uh, what happens, really what changed in the NBA as a result of the, really the differences in both in the offseason and in the season itself with the pandemic. We're just... You know that was that was I'm sure very tough on on players on basically on younger players guys who really in particular needed they were looking for further developments like Seki you look at him he came into the league kind of unex, excuse me came into the into the Pistons rotation unexpectedly at the end of his rookie season excuse me halfway through his rookie season and you know looked good at first then fell flat in his face which I don't think really was very surprising and then the season's cut off he has. The you know he participates in the longest NBA offseason like ever. <laughs> I think like I couldn't tell you going back to uh, you know like forty fifty years ago whatever I don't know but certainly of our lifetime in which he has no real access to team facilities or to the sort of professional level training that that to which players would generally have access in the offseason. He doesn't really even have access to training like uh, on a like a five on, on a five on five basis. I mean, these guys were really, really had very little access to, to the sort of training and, and developments that, that young players generally do during the off season. And so it was basically, all right, well, everything stopped. We're going into lockdown and then we're coming out of lockdown maybe, but you still can't really get together. You still can't really train with the team. And, uh, okay, well, now we have two weeks of training camp and a week of preseason and good luck to you. I think that was, so yeah, Seku has just not really been put in a position to succeed just yet. I mean, I think it was it was equally hard on Killian, who, who has uh, really, you know, came into the league with a lot of work to do. Also, yeah, so I definitely I'd, I'd agree say, with him. Yeah, I'd yeah. say that's an additional factor that is just should be considered when when thinking about his case. Not only raw, but was really not not only to come into the league very raw, but he was just his he has not been given the typical avenues uh, for off season development. Yeah, I think that's one thing that I always preached with Killian as well. Just the importance of having no summer league for both of these guys, having no extra off-season slash preseason to even integrate themselves with the team. I mean, how many practices did they get in? And even for someone like Seku, like he's not even from the States. Did he get back? Did he have time to spend with his family in the off-season? Just these little things that all add up in terms of a player's development, how a player goes into the season. Just a lot of things went wrong where you can see how their development might have just hit a stumbling block. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I I can't really think in terms of, I mean, we talked about Seku, we've talked about uh, means by which, you know, the Pistons could move in the draft. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't anticipate this draft really being, a last draft was, of course, just a ton of movement, a ton of things happened. And, and the Pistons were just in position to do that. I just don't see the Pistons being in position for this draft to be particularly interesting. Perhaps I'll be very surprised, but I, but I don't think it's it's going to be the case. Uh, those, uh, I'm not convinced the Pistons, like you have three second round picks and roster space even at this point is kind of at a premium. The Pistons could draft and stash somebody. But I don't, I'm not convinced the Pistons will even be able to trade into the first round unless you're giving up that Sacramento pick. Uh, I think it's 2024. 2023 uh, that they got in the Corey Joseph Delon Wright trade, but yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not convinced they'll be able to trade into the end of the first round. And if you look at the end of the first round, I don't think there are any necessarily particularly impressive players there. Oh, I disagree like, with you. Yeah, I, I know. Well, part of the reason this is such a highly ranked draft is the depth in it. And I well, really there's hope the, the Pistons can. There's the depth, but it's a certain kind of player. Man. Yeah, it's a certain kind of player you're looking for, though. You're not looking for. Yeah, but it's Greg Brown, I think is his name. I always get his name wrong. I always mix him up with Jones. Whatever, the guy from Texas. Who was yeah, super I don't, athletic. I don't know that he'll be there, but as far as like some of these No, guards, I'm just saying, yeah. you know, these, 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 are, these, these are guys, he might be there. But uh, this is a kind of guy you think, sure, end of first round, and this is a guy who could be a starter, but he's basically Josh Jackson 2.0. Like if you, 
if you find like a, a guy who you think would really fit the team, then then great. But a guy like Bones Highland, I know you're a big fan of him. Is probably going to rise in the top twenty. Excuse me, into the into the 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 high twenties. And it the, the draft has more depth, kind of. But we're talking like the Pistons probably won't be able to if if they're trading with those picks. It's like twenty eight, twenty nine, thirty. I don't think you're getting higher than that. And who's available at that point? I think there's still going to be, I, I think 20, like high 20s is still a little high for Bones. Uh, I know he's been a, a, a late riser, but uh, there's a lot of good names kind of at the end there that have just upside and potential. It's it's more than just Highland. It's Josh Christopher, Ayodesumo, Cam Thomas. A lot. There's a lot of names, but I think if Troy Weaver really wants a guy, he will get him. Um, I don't think that, that's not to say that I think Troy Weaver is just going to like go crazy and overpay on a guy, but I, I definitely do think that uh, trading back into the first round uh, It'll probably be more difficult this year because I think everybody is kind of aware that this is a very deep draft. But I think it's still – I would still put it at like over 50% chance of happening. I just think that uh, there are a lot of guys there that should be uh, targeted. Yeah, you got to consider who – you know, with whom are you going to trade. Like number 30 is Utah. I think Utah is going to take – it's just going to take a low-cost guy at the end of the first round. I mean, sure, they could opt for getting three shots at – number you know three shots in the second round sure you know maybe that's maybe that's better for you you get you know three chances at somebody even though 51 is you know it's extraordinarily unlikely to get you a rotation player so and even 37 and 42 even number 30 is not likely to get you a rotation player i think the, the odds are i don't remember looking it up in recent drafts maybe like 50 50 so or less than that maybe I, I don't exactly remember but it's it's not great but if you've, you know, you look at what you said, that there are some good guys available there. Okay, well, you know, if you have a guy you like there, you take him. The 76ers, I've, they're number 28. I've, uh, it's been said that maybe they're willing to trade it. I think in that case, you're looking for more immediate help. The Pistons can't provide that. But if you're the Sixers, you say, okay, well, maybe there's a guy here we like. This is a guy we have at a very low cost for four years, and we're going to be in the luxury tax. Maybe that's a consideration. Maybe the Suns at 29 trade for, you know, trade for somebody who can help them win. Now the Pistons can't do that. So you just look down the, down the line, the nets, same thing. Do we want, here's a guy who's going to cost us very little against the tax. And we're horribly deep into the luxury tax, like retaining, if I remember correctly, re- retaining Bruce Brown at $10 million a year will cost them 50 million counting the tax. So yeah, sure. If it's deep and there's a good guy available, let's take him. You just look on down the line. Uh, the nuggets, probably the same, the Clippers, it's just the Pistons don't really have a tremendous amount to offer unless these teams, which just really are looking to win now, and most of whom are in the tax, are uh, unless these teams are just saying, okay, well, we'd rather have three shots at this rather than two and just only have to pay and have, retain the ability to cut ties with a guy after one year rather than two because you can do that with second round picks on the average second round, or average contract these guys are going to get. So I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that the Pistons can go out and do that. And of course... After that, I mean, I, I think it's highly unlikely the Pistons are going to be able to trade up to like any further than that. But after that, it's 23 and 24. And the Rockets have, you know, there's there's no beyond the fact that those three seconds are probably not going to get you anywhere near 24. Like, why would the Rockets trade? You know, there's there's no real reasonable trade that can be made with the Rockets that doesn't include the first overall pick. So uh, I think you have to look at the agency and I just don't think that's likely. No, I don't, I don't. I don't really see any trades materializing unless it's like you said, Mike. There's a team in the late, late, like very late. I'm talking probably 28 and up first round, uh, who says, okay, we'd rather take you know three shots than one shot and grab all of our second round picks to move up. But in that case, Troy would have to be particularly in love with someone who he's not convinced would be available at uh, you know 35. And then even still, the other team would 37 or yeah, 37 Raptors, yeah. No, 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 no worries. And then the other team would need to be incentivized to have that same mindset as well. And so I, I, I don't particularly see an avenue through which we could get up into the teens. I don't think any of the players on the roster are so valuable that them combined with any package of those second round picks could get us there. And and even then, a, a lot needs to come together for something like this to materialize. So I've been wrong before. I didn't anticipate anywhere close to the level of movement that we saw in last year's draft. And Troy has surprised us time and time again, but as it stands right now, I don't see anything aside from maybe trading for the 28th, 29th, or 30th pick. Yeah, I guess we just got to take Cade and hope for the best. 
That's not a bad strategy. That, that turned out to be pretty good. So yeah. yeah, the trade the trade I would see, I think it's most likely that the Pistons will make with those second round picks is if somebody is available at like you know thirty two or thirty three, you can see you could see thirty seven and forty two going uh, to that other team uh, to move up. In that case, you know that that that's primarily where I would see it. Particularly if you're dealing with the likes of the Knicks, who have a, an enormous amount of cap space, and probably you know maybe they see a guy at the end of that you know at that position that they whom they really absolutely love, but they're in this weird space of being a team that's kind of trying to win now, but also has a gigantic load of cap space. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's the trade I would see. Honestly, <laughs> I would see as likeliest as probably, uh, the 37 and 42 for 32. And and that's pretty typical as far as, uh, as far as moving up in the late, you know, whether it's in the late first round or in the second round, that's, that's basically based on recent experience, the price you can expect to pay or close to it anyway. Ironically, yeah, just, yeah. that is our. Ironically, that pick is Detroit's pick, number thirty-two, that was sent out in the Kyrie Thomas deal in twenty eighteen. Hmm. Yeah, the Pistons sent out their second round pick and this year's, uh, this year's second round pick, which turned into a borderline first round pick. <laughs> well, that's yeah. I'm just torn between because I, I I don't know if it's if it's going to be another year of aggressive Troy Weaver or if it's going to be. You know, we already kind of have the team that we want. I know that Troy said that they don't anticipate too many open roster spots, but uh, it's just that's that's what I'm kind of thinking about going into this. Like the top of the draft is, it, for the most part, it feels like it's it's going to be Cade, and that's very comforting uh, given all the all the talk in the past month. It's just been a very long month, honestly. But uh, I am just curious to see what happens because he's still this is only his second year. He's what finished up what twelve months as GM, so. Yeah, it's your thirteenth month right now. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Uh, yeah. Do you guys want to uh, talk about the finals now? I, I think that'd be a pretty topical topic. Uh, Wes, you in particular, what were your thoughts on the finals? And moreover, how would you sort of relate that out to maybe a model that the Pistons can sort of follow in the future? Yeah, for sure. In terms of the finals, I mean, they were exciting. <laughs> you just can't say anything but that got Giannis just historic like some of the performances he put up 50 points the block the dunk which I don't know if the dunk gets enough credit at the end of the game off the Drew Holiday rip where he just dropped out of the sky I mean his head was up the top of the backboard it was insane but in terms of the correlations to the Pistons obviously small market teams in quotation marks I guess um, small market teams Giannis is obviously a rare breed one of the greatest players of all time he'll go down as so Cade lofty expectations but it's just the way they went about it in terms of they surrounded Giannis with the right pieces I said it at the time when they made that trade for Holiday but you give up those assets some people said they overpaid for Holiday but you give up those assets to keep Giannis because you're not getting another Giannis it's that simple and I think obviously the Pistons aren't there yet with Cade but just looking down the line, you've got to be aggressive. You've got to be smart, though. You've got to wait for your chance. Drew Holiday came up, who happened to be just a perfect fit for them in terms of the defensive side of the ball and his secondary slash primary playmaking alongside Chris Middleton can play off the ball. Milwaukee saw that chance with the Pelicans. They somehow managed to offload Eric Bledsoe and George Hill and those guys, which weren't seen as negative contracts. Eric Bledsoe in itself, apparently, for some reason, with a couple of first-round picks and... They just surrounded Giannis with the right guys, which I think the Pistons can take some some knowledge, some can learn from that. Yeah, I, I love what you said about surrounding with the right guys. I, I I think it's a it's a pretty astute point to make because you know the Drew Holiday trade. Lots of people were scratching their heads uh, with that, but it's like you said, it was a trade to keep Giannis happy and to think that Cade can reach the you know acclaimed heights of Giannis Antetokounmpo. That's more than a lofty expectation, it, it's it's pretty unlikely, not because I'm low on Cade, but just because I, I recognize Giannis's greatness. But in the event that something even remotely similar to that occurs, it's not just about keeping the superstar happy. It's also about identifying the correct pieces to put around him to the point where he's not only happy, he's maximally effective, you know? And so if we do um, happen to be lucky enough to, to strike on a player uh, like the quality of what I think Cade can be, what we all think Cade can be, it's important to make shrewd moves and to make sure that his skill set is optimized and that 
when playoff time rolls around, when it's crunch time, he's not just left out to dry and he can rely on his teammates to, you know, he can make them better and they can make him better as well. Because it's like we've said about the playoffs time and time again, it's just a different beast. And you really need to be cohesive as a unit to move forward through those rounds. And I think Troy, you know, if there's any executive in the NBA uh, that I would trust to build around Cade Cunningham, I think a guy who got in uh, on Cade right at the ground floor, you know, the person who's going to draft him, Troy Weaver, I think he can build a team. So that's that, that's something that I'm optimistic about. And I would constantly be looking to what Milwaukee did as sort of a base for what we can look towards moving forward. Well, what Milwaukee did, number one, they got very fortunate picking Giannis in the draft. Uh, there is, well, you can say fortunate. They were fortunate in one capacity that the Mavericks had a higher pick than the Bucks in that draft. And Donnie Nelson, who was the GM of that draft, uh, he was very high in Giannis. I remember reading that he said to, to Mark Cuban, who's the owner of the Mavericks, who was, who was very, very involved in, in the operations of that team. And for the most part, has done a pretty decent job of it. Uh, but in this case, did not. And he said to him uh, something along the lines of, Mark, I know this guy's the next big thing. I know it. We got to take him. And Mark Cuban, unfortunately for the Mavericks, decided that he wanted to trade down in order to, to get uh, more cap space because lower in the draft is uh, lower rookie salary so that he could try to sign Dwight Howard. Of course, that didn't happen, and they didn't get Giannis either, but things could have been very different for the Bucks. Nonetheless, not only that they got Giannis in the draft, it's basically, well, I, I've seen it said that the Bucks knew that they had something good in him based on his physical qualities, but they did not reckon on him having such a maniacally uh, just a maniacally good work ethic. Uh, the guy just works incredibly hard and, and he's just got a great attitude. And I've just, I got to echo Wes and, and shouting out to his performance in the finals. Giannis really just uh, that game six was just Titanic. And he just throughout the series, just really exemplified everything a sportsman and a leader should be, you know, he played, he was just gassed constantly because he was playing so hard he competed super hard on both ends. He was a leader. And yeah, I just, uh, you know, I was, I was rooting for the Bucks because I just, I wanted to see Giannis succeed. But just as far as the Pistons are concerned, yeah, what, what, they, what the Bucks did, yeah, they had Giannis. They got Chris Middleton, thanks to Joe Dumars' desperation to keep his job. Uh, much the same reason why the Clippers ended up with uh, the package they did for uh, you know, with the, for example, that pick that turned into sh- to uh, shake Gilgis Alexander, you know, after trading up slightly. Uh, anyway, yeah. So th- those two guys are really the foundation to begin with, though. Yeah, and just to touch on the Bucks, this is a little bit further down the line for the Pistons, still in the early stages, but even the likes of PJ Tucker, who they traded for, who made an impact. I know he went scoreless a few games despite playing about forty minutes a night, but someone like a PJ Tucker, Pat Connaughton just annoyingly grabbing offensive rebounds and playing his role. Those are the kind of guys you want on your team. All of those guys just seems that there seemed to be no issues within the team. You had three stars, which is pretty rare where you had a superstar and two stars in Middleton and Holiday. And none of those guys seem like bad dudes. They all seem like really stand-up guys, just nice guys. There seems like there's just a camaraderie there, just a nice kind of locker and vibe. And you're seeing some of those things with the Pistons starting to materialize with the likes of Sadiq Bay, Isaiah Stewart, Killian Hayes, hopefully those kind of guys just getting along a little bit better and just starting to build that foundation that the Bucks obviously had. And then Giannis, who is the key factor. Yeah. And you talk about the way that this roster was built. I think back to like a year ago when the Bucks were making all these trades and they ended up getting, they almost got Bogdanovich, but then they were caught, they got, that trade was blocked for like tampering purposes, but they went all in. But Bogdanovich never agreed to it too. He came out and said that. <laughs> oh, was it? Oh, yeah. yeah, that was also that was also kind of an issue. Yeah, I mean, imagine if they had though. That would have been huge for them. Anyway, uh, just the fact that they went all in and that they were like, okay, this is our time. We have to maximize them. I think for me personally, just having been so used to trying to imagine how a rebuild would go for like the past two or three years. It's going to be difficult for me when I have to try to, when I do these little thought exercises about like how the Pistons are supposed to turn into a contender. It's it's a really big risk to go all in at one point, and I, I'm really happy that it worked out for the Bucks because when you don't go all in, you get the the Portland situation. Because for the past two or three years, I've been saying Portland just needs to go all in on Dame. He's not getting any younger, and they're just going to end up wasting him. And now finally, it seems like it's coming to a head a little bit, and. 
I just feel like it's when that works out like that, it's really exciting. But for the, a, a team like Portland, if you're not going to go all in, it can just completely fall apart. So credit to the Bucks for going all in when they did. And I really hope Portland goes all in at one point too, because I like Dame and I like it when a homegrown superstar ends up working out and winning a ring for their team. Uh, but that's definitely another thing that the Pistons need to need to do at some point. Not make super win now moves immediately, but when the time is right, make those moves and you know trade a little bit of your future stuff for some win now pieces. Yeah, I don't think the Pistons are anywhere near that point right now. You know, no matter how good uh, the you know the first overall pick comes in, no matter how good he is. I mean, uh, of course, we like to say it's Kate. I, I, I still <laughs> every time I say it's Kate, I think okay, well, vast. You know, it's it's. The possi- the probability that he will be the pick is overwhelmingly high, but uh, you know there's a small part of my brain that's like you know don't discuss something based on something that hasn't already happened that doesn't have 100 percent certainty at least you know uh, who knows maybe we'll make uh, we'll make Australia all of Australia Pistons fans by selecting Josh Giddy that's a joke of course that's definitely not going to happen but although <laughs> yeah if you want to um, yeah. wouldn't be opposed to it <laughs> yeah, sure so. Um, in any event, yeah. So we can just go. Okay, we can say if if, if Kate Cunningham comes in and and you know he ends up being uh, just excellent in his rookie year, even then, like the Mavericks went went big for Chris Depp's Porzingis because it was a good opportunity. I mean, Porzingis is a good player, and the Knicks did not ask much for him, so they went and did that for that reason, not because they had to immediately. The thing is, when you look at the Bucks, Middleton and Giannis have both been there since 2012, so they have both. Uh, wait, this is twenty. Yeah, I was twenty twelve draft, I think. Or 2012, 20, uh, 2013, Excuse me. So uh, Giannis was drafted in twenty thirteen, and Middleton was traded uh, to the Bucks in in twenty thirteen. So by the time they won this championship, they've not been together for eight years. And granted, they were supposed to make much bigger waves in the playoffs than they did. Uh, these, you know, there was the last two years in particular were really a playoff disappointment. But you know, it really took some time for things to come together there. And obviously, you don't want it to take that long. But in any event, where the Pistons are right now, like unless things really come together, like in the next two years, I think I think you won't see the Pistons really make that kind of dramatic win now move until at least like twenty twenty, maybe twenty twenty four, like going into uh, Cade's fourth season. I know third season. Uh, let's see, one, two, three, yeah, the fourth season. In terms of the Giannis thing, obviously the win now is probably a bit further down the line. But one thing we can take out of what the Bucks did as a whole was from early on, once they saw the potential in Giannis, they tried to surround him with shooters, like at different stages. I mean, when Corva was running out there, what Marvin Williams last year, like just guys that could promise that kind of shooting. It took them a while to find the right makeup and the guys who could do more than just shoot the ball, but they recognized what they needed with Giannis. They needed floor spacing decided Brooke Lopez could suddenly shoot the ball and showed that off against the Pistons in the playoffs before I remember that. But um, they just got the right pieces around him, the right kind of squad there. So that's I think that's why I'm so high on what we've got with Cade as well, because early days, I know, but we've got someone, we've got some versatility, some switchability with Isaiah Stewart at least. There's some potential there. He can hopefully stretch the floor. Killian Hayes and Cade could hopefully work off each other, bit of playmaking between the two as well. Seems like there could be shooting at all positions. Jeremy Grant has taken a lead role as a defensive wing stopper before as well and can take take players off the dribble, shoot the ball. Sadiq Bey hopefully projects out to be a similar kind of player. think it's early signs for sure, but there are signs of this team being a really nice fit around Cade Cunningham. Yeah, I think one need that continues to come up, and this is just in the context of last season's draft picks, uh, only one of whom was actually an above-average NBA athlete, that being Saban Lee. And I've said in the past that I actually feel pretty good about, about Saban Lee. If he becomes a, a shooter, then you've got a guy who can be one of these kind of relatively low-cost starters, perhaps. A guy that, you know, this is like mega hypothetical, but a guy who knows maybe you put him next to, like you, like Kate is the titular, is, is the actual point guard running the offense, but Saban Lee is like just the titular point guard, like the kind of, like Seth Curry, played next to Doncic in Dallas, for example. But, you know, and, that, and you know, Saban's a real good athlete. But Killian is not. Sadiq is not. Isaiah is not. 
you know, none of these guys can play above the rim. Of course, none of them are particularly explosive. None of them are going to be very good off ball movers just because they're not particularly explosive. So you do need more athleticism in the starting lineup, but that's something you worry about down the line. You know, that's that. I don't think that's a worry you really need to have. And, but what you said about spacing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's just a, you know, you just got to do that in the NBA. And of course the Pistons probably don't have enough of that right now, but uh, that doesn't matter. I think, I think in just in general, we've all agreed. And I think the organization as much as said so prior to last season is that the playoffs aren't, you know, they said, uh, but this was last November, I think. Um, which came out that the Pistons didn't expect to make the playoffs for the next few seasons, but they weren't opposed to it happening naturally. I think it's just this season's very much going to be a, a development, just a just a development season, and it's really whatever happens, happens. I do tend to agree with the athleticism. Yeah, that could be a bit of an issue. In terms of off the ball, just Sadiq Bay in particular, I did like his just intelligence, his relocation. Often he was getting into those right spots, which can be an underrated skill, but he was someone that was always in the right spot at the right time, just in the right spot for the passer out of the post. I think that's why Mason Plumley got the most assists to him, just because Sadiq Bey is always popping up in the right spots and he's ready to fire. Something that Kennard, just to bring it back to Luke Kennard though, <laughs> something he wasn't always ready to do. Like he'd get in the right spots and then he'd just hesitate. Sadiq Bey does not hesitate. He shoots that. So that makes up for just a little bit of his athleticism, his lack of athleticism, I'd say. A little bit, but at the same time, it's really nice. Like if you look at somebody like Wayne Ellington or uh, or Frank Jackson, I know I know you mentioned uh, before we were recording. Actually, you're a big fan of Frank Jackson. If you look at these guys who uh, accelerate quickly, can stop in a dime and accelerate quickly in another direction, and just do that a couple times around a screen, it just makes it a lot easier to get open. Uh, these guys who are motion three point shooters, maybe Sadiq, and that would be great if you become a motion three point shooter, but. He's going to have more of a trouble gaining separation, particularly from good wing defenders than a guy like Ellington, like Frank Jackson, who can who basically can just stop and go in the other direction, get the ball and shoot it right away. And, and those guys are much better able to utilize off-ball screens toward that end. So Bay, I think, has just a very good instinct on where to be. And it was at times kind of a little irritating how teams played him last season. It's like, you realize that this guy is a very good three point shooter. Why do you keep leaving him open? It's like, come on, we want the Pistons to lose this game. Like, you know, get your act together. (laughs) So, uh, but yeah, but I, but I think when it comes to being able to really achieve separation off the ball or explosively cut to the basket, uh, it's, it's, it's better to have those guys who can, uh, you know, who have more of the burst to do so. And that that's an area in which I think Sadiq will be lacking. So, all right. Uh, anything else uh, do you guys want to touch on before we call it quits on this episode? No, I, I just want to thank Wes for coming on. Wes, we, I, I think we all thought you were great. And it's like we were saying to you before we started recording, your channel really blends uh, passion for the team with, with knowledge of the game of basketball. And so it was nice to see it kind of shine through in this episode. And we really appreciate having you, man. I appreciate it. It was fun, fun talking. As I said, we're in lockdown. There's some people rioting in the streets, which is a little bit wild, but yeah, not, not getting up to too much these at the moment. So happy to jump on. Yeah. I'll I'll echo that. Thank you. Uh, Yeah. Thank you for coming on. And yeah, we'd, we'd love to have you back on the show again. For sure. All right, folks. So as always, thanks for listening. Uh, We will be uh, posting probably an episode very shortly after the draft. And uh, then again, one mid next week after free agency. A free agency, which begins on, I believe, the 2nd at 6 o'clock, 6 o'clock Eastern. And, well, excuse me, 6 o'clock in the evening Eastern. After which, it's only a short leap to Summer League on August the 8th. So we get a lot of a lot of cool stuff coming up. In any event, again, thanks for listening. And we'll catch you in the next episode.